show. The no make it show. Yeah, uh-huh. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion, and this melted pot. We live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. Continues. The No Miki Show. Welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Khan, and it is June 2nd. It is Wednesday, and we are officially, the whole world is watching, we are officially 20 days away from the New York City mayoral elections. Also other elections, as well, and borough-wide elections. And NDAs. We'll just keep going. It's just the list of elections is happening. Because part of this is happening because New York State has consolidated its primaries. And primaries in New York City basically general elections because it's a it's not a single party ruled city uh there is a republican party but it's also there there are many parties there is the democratic party of course and um so everybody's fighting to to get the democratic nomination and of course the working families party and there are you know other minor lines as well so 20 days away from the mayoral election which is really what we're going to talk about today uh plenty of folks have been asking for our analysis we are doing our best to get as many people in to discuss the mayoral race because it's getting a lot of national attention uh today we are going to have on ryan grimm from the intercept who is not normally a new york reporter but um he has been covering the progressive movement, which has obviously made inroads in New York City, uh, in particular in New York State. And later we have Harry Siegel. Harry Siegel, actually, first we have Harry Siegel. Harry Siegel is a longtime New York reporter, uh, dear dear friend of the show. He's been on a few times, talk about New York politics, uh, comes from a legacy of, of writers uh, from New York. His father is also a well-known uh, writer from New York. So the great thing about Harry is Harry always offers insight and just the multidimensional dynamics and the history um, that, you know, how things came to be. So it is going to be a super interesting show. Um, I want to play this real quick clip because CNN has been paying attention to the New York City mayoral election. Let's roll this clip. It's crunch time in New York City's mayoral race. My entire life has prepared me for the moment. I want to be able to make things better for all of us. The top eight candidates hitting the streets, vying for the Democratic nomination one handshake at a time. In deep blue New York, the winner of the primary is heavily favored to win in the fall. The next mayor will face overlapping challenges in a pandemic-ravaged city, like a high unemployment rate, over 11% in April, and rising crime. With just over three weeks to primary day, it's the more moderate contenders who are the perceived front runners in what the New York Times calls the most consequential election in a generation. We need new ideas. A businessman running on hope and optimism, Andrew Yang benefits from name recognition after months on the national stage as a 2020 presidential candidate and argues that as a newcomer to city politics, he can shake things up. What do you say to critics who say you, you, you lack enough knowledge about how the city works? If we just take the same people who've been rattling around the bureaucracy for years and years, that things aren't going to change in the way that most New Yorkers both want and deserve. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams has held elected office in the city for years. The next mayor must be someone who has gone through a lot to help people who are going through a lot. A former New York police officer who was beaten by police as a teen, Adams joined the force to fight police brutality from the inside. 
A one-time Republican, Adams has focused much of his campaign on public safety and the economy. We have to get our businesses back up and operating. New York used to be the Empire State. Now we're too bureaucratic, too expensive. Thank you, everyone. Catherine Garcia touts her long resume in public service, most recently running the city's massive sanitation department. She got a boost after being endorsed by the editorial boards of the New York Times and the New York Daily News. And we feel a lot of momentum. A Garcia win I voted for you. would make history. If you were to be the first woman to be elected to lead New York after hundreds of years, what you'd bring to the table there as yes. a woman? And, and isn't it shocking that 50% of the population has never had an opportunity to sit in that chair? to bring our lived experience. On the left, a battle for the progressive vote shows no signs of consolidating. Hello, sir. Maya Wiley, I'm running for mayor. With civil rights lawyer Maya Wiley, nonprofit executive and former public school teacher Diane Morales, and New York City controller Scott Stringer, a veteran of New York politics, each aiming to come out on top. Ready on day one, someone who has a progressive vision but has the skills to bring our city back from our greatest challenge. I'm going to start with Sean. Come on up. Sean Donovan, a housing secretary in President Obama's cabinet, and Ray McGuire, a former Citigroup executive. How are you doing? I'm Ray McGuire, running for mayor. Round out the crowded field, hoping to lead a comeback for the nation's largest city. And for the first time, New York City will be using ranked choice voting, where voters can rank their top five candidates. It's a new system that allows for an instant runoff until one candidate gets above 50%, but it makes predicting the winner a challenge. And with just over three weeks to go, this is still anybody's race to win. Athena Jones, CNN, New York. So that was a great uh, basic overview of who all the candidates are as we move into this show. Um, but they sort of buried the lead. The lead being, the L-E-D-E -E being, that this is the first time in history New York City is, is voting with a ranked choice system. They didn't explain the ranked choice system very well. You get five choices uh, and you don't have to fill in all the five choices either. You could just put in your favorite. You could put in your top two, your top three. Um, which brings about strategic voting. Uh, ranked choice voting has been argued as being, you know, good for democracy. Uh, but we're, what we're seeing in a one-party city is that, and I've talked about this before on the show briefly, is that you have situations in which uh, different coalitions are built, especially in the final moments of the election. Um, where alliances are built. So suddenly this is not just the mayoral race, but it's happening at the city council level too, uh, where candidates are endorsing the other or urging, uh, organizations are urging their supporters to vote number one and two with certain candidates. And so uh, it's sometimes, I think, especially in multi-way races like this with a lot of candidates, it creates an opportunity for horse trading. And so this is just something to keep in mind. It doesn't mean that it's a, a worse system than we had before, but it's just something to keep in mind and to prepare for as progressives. You know, when you run a candidate or a few candidates, um, is there an opportunity for horse trading? Does it mean that actually the progressive organizations will, you know, have three options that are going to be great for their organization or their interests um, or party? That could be the case. And I think CNN, whether they intentionally did so or not, laid that out in the beginning when they said, 
uh, given the dynamics of the city right now, given the fact that crime is on the rise, as it is in, in most cities uh, in the world right now because of the pandemic, um, given the fact that the economy is spiraling out of control and employment is spiraling out of control, uh, you know, rent relief just sort of came um, and we still don't even know what the real eviction situation is going to be like. Uh, we don't even really know what the city is, is the current state of the city. And with that, it has created an opening for more centrist candidates. And unfortunately, uh, in the case of Andrew Yang, centrist, business-backed, and also just uh, <laughs> a candidate who does not understand the city. I can say that probably. Um, I think most people would agree with that that watch the show. So we're going to talk about all these different factors um, on the show. And, and one more thing to add is that uh, these mayoral races are notoriously low turnout. So the game really comes down to which organizations turn out their voters for a candidate, which candidates are able to turn out what neighborhoods, what demographics. It's all about turnout. And there's still a big factor, which is folks who don't know who they're going to vote for. And I don't know if that's as much as there aren't many, the, the options aren't clear uh, as much as it is <laughs> Do we understand how the ranked choice system works? <laughs> um, because you have five choices to vote. So uh, with that, I am going to take a quick little break because we're going to move to our first uh, interview today, which is with Harry Siegel. He's going to be on to discuss the state of the race, uh, the history, and some of the background of, of these candidates, who they are. Uh, and then later, we're going to have Ryan Grimm on to talk about the progressive layer of this race and some of the drama that's taken place on the progressive side and whether or not maybe there's something else going on maybe there's another uh issue at play here i will talk about that with ryan Grimm. we'll be right back after the break with harry siegel All right, welcome back to the Nomi Keys Show. I am so thrilled to have our good friend, Harry Siegel on. He's a senior editor at The Daily Beast. He is also a columnist at The New York Daily News and the co-host of FAQ NYC, which is a killer podcast uh, that sounds great, by the way. Can I just like add that there's a lot of fanciness happening with your podcast? There's so much fanciness happening. We're fancy people. Tune in, everyone. <laughs> when I think of Harry Siegel, I think fancy. All right, Harry. Oh my God. I, we don't have a ton of time, unfortunately, because uh, of the world that we live in and the show being only an hour. Um, but there's so much to unpack right now. And let's just start with, there's a, there's a debate tonight, which I buried the lead on this morning or at the, at the opening. Um, what are we expecting from this debate, given the fact that we are 20 days away from the election? People are going to start hitting each other very hard, having largely avoided in a crazy crowded field. There are eight candidates who are going to be at the debate, which is way too many. They're going to stop being polite as they uh, said on the real world and, and start getting real. And that's going to be interesting. I'm curious if Eric Adams or Andrew Yang or Catherine Garcia who's been rising up is going to be sort of the focus of, uh, of most of the fire. But I think this is going to be contentious, and especially the first hour, because uh, local ABC is only putting the first hour on television, and then the second is only on the internet, which is not right. What? It's bad enough that people don't watch these debates. <laughs> like, let's just start off with that. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I've been in these debates before with seven or eight people. I got to say, not everyone was nasty in those debates. So I am going to differ a little bit here. I was nasty. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. I was nasty with everybody. I bear the consequences of that. Um, but with that being said, I actually don't think everyone's going to be nasty. You think so? I, 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 I think uh, people are in weird and interesting positions. There's not a ton of good polling. It looks like those three I mentioned uh, are, are, are ahead and that everyone else is running out of time to buy time. Maya Wiley, who's been wanting to emerge as the progressive with uh, Scott Springer wounded by, uh, by this one allegation against him and all of his progressive supporters running away. Uh, Diane Morales's campaign has uh, imploded, which is good because I'm pretty sure she's a fraud. Um, so so that leaves... I, 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 what is a fraud? I'm sorry. Hang on a second. All politicians are frauds. Like, let's just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm yes. very, I, I, I'm sensitive to that. I'm, I didn't support her um, openly, but I think it's important. We'll talk about Diane Morales later. When we say things like fraud, that's a legal term. So be careful. <laughs> I, I think it, she, she is running as the far left candidate in the field. She has great posters and a potent identity and really solid slogans. I don't think she knows that much about the issues. She's somebody who's a charter school supporter who voted for Andrew Cuomo, who's, uh, who's very progressive campaigners who are sincerely very progressive are like, we're going to go out, out on strike against you. So, so I, I actually, I regret using that word, not for legal reasons, but, but for human decency ones. But I, I think is un, underprepared to actually be mayor, did a very good job of raising money with Herb Maya, uh, who's had a lot of trouble raising money, and having someone to her left hurt her. Why, why is it that Maya Wiley, who was, has an MSNBC contract, name ID, had a lot of early political support from, you know, people like Senator Gennaris, like Michael Blake, and, you know, assemblyman like Michael Blake, um, why do you think that she wasn't able to, to find that lane? Not She's necessarily progressive lane, but like the money lane. She's never run for office before. Um, a lot of the institutional money had been pre-committed to uh, particularly Adams and Stringer, and she didn't get off to a very good start, having never run for office before. So, so in that early period where if you're building momentum, money stacks up behind you, it didn't. And again, having a candidate to her left who was really racking in small donations, uh, cut into her space to, to do the same. And lastly, women have had a harder time fundraising in New York, as well as campaigning for, for other reasons, and I'm sure that's part of the equation. Um, you know, the Scott Stringer dynamic. So we'll, we'll talk about Diane Morales a little bit later on the show with, with Ryan Grimm, who's been like really on that beat. Um, God bless him. <laughs> but um, Scott Stringer to me, uh, you know, he was trying to create this like progressive lane, but um, let's like rewind like five years ago. Who was Scott Stringer five years ago? Scott Stringer is the controller. He's a guy who's been around New York City for forever. Um, he's the guy who beat uh, Elliot Spitzer when Elliot Spitzer was going to come back into politics after resigning as governor with this prostitution scandal and bigfooted into like a 20 point lead in the polls. And Scott was like the little train that could who beat him and has always, always wanted to be mayor and really thought he was uh, right on track to, uh, uh, to be there. And because he'd supported these really younger, progressive, new generation of politicians in 2018 and in 2020, and they'd reciprocated after winning uh, in a bunch of surprises by giving him their support. He thought he could be both the grown-up in the room and the uh, radical in the room, and the, that that was going to be his path. He's lost the radical side, 
largely, or their endorsements, that hasn't done so much to his standing in the polls. And some of those people, Jamal Bowman, for instance, has, talk, has been talking out loud about how maybe he took his endorsement away too soon, and Scott is a great guy. And more or less, this was in a meeting with Indivisible uh, in the Bronx, uh, apologized for, for being so divisible and sort of blamed the women. He's like, I I've never been assaulted. I followed women's lead. And, and, and in hindsight, I acted too soon. So he didn't give his endorsement back for whatever little I think it would be worth at this point, but indicated he really regretted removing it. In the meantime, like Jerry Nadler stayed with him in the teachers union. How, the I was going to say, how much of this is really just because Jamal Bowman is a teach is a former principal and it's the teachers union that will not back down away from Scott String. And also like, how is that dynamic playing out? I, I think the, the teachers union, which has not endorsed a uh, winner since I've been old enough to uh, drink or smoke, I believe, um, thought correctly, which the young progressives concerned with their new brands, these are people are newly in office, did not, that you, you got to dance with the one that brung you. And they backed Scott, they, they had whatever understandings of how he'd handle things. He's talking about having more, uh, a better student to teacher ratio, which would mean more teachers, which would mean more members, et cetera. So, so they said, we're, we're behind him and we're going to stay there. They've had all these ads that have cute kids, uh, more, than, more than Scott in them, uh, through a pack. But I think I think Bowman came to his decision separately, and I do think it was a consultation with a lot of these young progressives, like uh, you know Jessica Ramos and Alessandra Biaggi, and others who, who collectively walked away. Yeah, yeah, state senators who were part of this whole effort to overthrow the IDC a couple of years ago. Um, all right, so that's interesting. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this, how the ranked choice system is going to work, because I saw a poll a couple of days ago that uh, this is before the Morales thing played out in which she was coming in second as a second choice, I think second person in second choice. So I'm not explaining this properly, but second round, second round, second choice, which suddenly that's a different dynamic. So how does the choice system work? And like, what do you, it's hard to predict, obviously, given polling being really terrible and undecided and low turnout and blah, 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 all the things. But like, how do you kind of see the choice system playing out? So right now, it looks like it's going to be something of a disaster. And the reasons why the, the premise is you can vote for the person you really want, even if you don't think they're going to win, because if they're eliminated, your vote goes to your next pick until someone has 50 percent. I think that's a very nice idea. It's weird that it's only in Democratic primaries, but in real life, the Democratic primary is the game in New York. Because figuring this out and then recounting the ballots and all that is complicated. All the best pollsters just avoided the race because it was going to be too expensive. So the polling we have is very limited. A lot of it has come from the Yang campaign, which is maybe not a neutral uh, observer here. Um, so with that said, Eric Adams had his allies fight very hard against and sue to try to stop this system. And uh, he has a concern that, that, that older black voters- The ranked choice system. Yes. The ranked choice voting system, yeah. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't like it. Older black voters who show up consistently and vote consistently um, are not going to immediately get in the habit of this new system. They're just going to vote for the one person they want. And the, this may damage black candidates is his concern. Um, the people who, who, if they filled out five, would put him two or three, may not put him in at all and, and stop at one. So we'll see how that plays out. The other issue is it looks like it's going to take weeks to, to count the vote this way. So we may not know who the winner is. Uh, we don't know if Eric Adams will accept it if he's winning after the first count and then loses as the rank choices add up and what he would do otherwise. There, there's a lot of room for mess. And lastly, this is why there's still eight candidates in the race. It's between rank choice and matching funds, a very generous matching fund system meant to get money out of politics, but that's also like a full employment 
act for every political consultant in the universe, right? If you, if you have the money, there's no reason ever to leave. So the field never thins or clarifies. There's no chance of a runoff between the top two candidates. We're just gonna sort of have this, this mush or muddle or mess right up until June 22nd, primary day, early voting starts 10 days sooner. And then maybe two, three weeks after that, we'll find out who the uh, Democratic nominee and presumptive mayor is. I, I don't think that's great. Do you think that there's going to be a situation in which one of the candidates just goes full on Trump and is like, I'm the winner? And like, I don't know what that does. Andrew Yang's in the race. So like, who would... Curtis Lee was going to be the Republican nominee. He's the okay. founder of the Guardian Angels and an extremely loud sort of nutsy New York character. Not a great guy. Um, and he's going to be running against sort of two candidates, but sort of no candidates, quite possibly for weeks. And how those candidates respond, uh, what the campaign finance system lets them do with their money over that stretch, it's all really nebulous and up in the air. Uh, and the only reassuring thing is whoever wins the Democratic primary in practice this year is going to be mayor. Uh, but it's going to be a very weird, bumpy road getting there and figuring out who that person is, it looks like. Um, let's go through some of the stuff that's happening right now, because you mentioned Curtis Lee, and I, I missed something today. What's the deal with the squeegees? Can we put that tweet up? I'm really confused. I'm, I'm, did I just miss a beat? Like I wasn't on Twitter long enough. <laughs> Oh, never, never go on Twitter. Um, <laughs> the Post put the squeegee guys back on the cover. Uh, they started the... doing this. Put it on the screen. <laughs> you heard? You're good. You're good. No, no, no. I was just letting, I was just letting Dorsey know to put it on the screen. Yeah, go ahead. The Post put the squeegee guys back, back on the uh, cover a couple days ago. They did this in 2014, 2015, 2019, and 2020, I believe. And each time, it was like a horror movie franchise taglines, like the squeegee men, they're back. You know, the 90s return, and so do the squeegee men. Here come the bad old days and the squeegee men. So these are a handful of guys who come out with the squeegee and nasty water and wipe your windshield, whether you want them to or not. And then if you hand them money, we'll go away. It, it's a... Uh, they generally are right by the uh, tunnels, right? They're looking for Jersey folks and out-of-towners. They're unpleasant. Lots of them have long uh, 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 criminal records, often nonviolent ones. Not a great thing. Giuliani made a whole crusade about them that was a little absurd. They're not generally a, a, a tremendous menace either. They're just an unpleasant New York experience, let's say. Uh, to the Post, th th this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the end is the end is coming. The end is coming. Beware! And so they do this periodically, and they're doing this now while they're supporting Eric Adams, who's a former police officer, and is talking about how things are becoming more dangerous and more chaotic in the city. Um, and this now has become the narrative leading into the debate. Uh, a, a year ago, when my Wiley first got into the race, and we we're having a summer of racial protests and protests about policing. That, that was one dynamic, like a year of rising violent crime later and then concerns, fair or otherwise, about random chaotic things, from serious ones like train shovings and uh, hate crimes often involving mentally ill people to less serious ones like squeegee guys. Like the, the dynamics seem to have shifted back to more of a public order message. And that's where the weeding mayoral candidates are all at at the moment. Um, it's so interesting because I think the squeegee thing is very common across the globe. It's not... I mean, in every major city in America, like they have, but in, for some reason in New York, it's, it's, it's a sign of like the end of times when you show up in any mid-level city in America and you'll see that. Um, it is really fascinating to see how 
the, the summer of George Floyd protests and prote uh, Black Lives Matter protests globally um, has spiraled into the summer of crime now, uh, which was, you know, expected when you have economic downturns and um, inequality and people have been pent up and there's a rise in domestic violence and, and, and you know, all these things, they're happening. It's not just in New York. It's, it's, it's not a New York issue. And like, P.S., New York's police force is pretty well funded. So like, if it's if the police are going to make sure that crime doesn't exist, what have they been doing? That's just my take on this. But Maya Wiley, um, there she's been running as as the the police reformer, I'll say, because she's not you know for defunding the police. But she uh, when she was in 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 her position, uh, had a with the city, she had a very different position. So can we talk a little bit about what her background is? So, so Maya Wiley has ads up now calling out the police unions and the leaders by name, which is something Bill de Blasio, who ran as a police reformer, never did, even when those unions, Ed Mullins, the head of the sergeant's union, for instance, doxed his daughter and put out like an arrest shot with her address on it and everything else. And he still wouldn't call him out by name. However, Maya Wiley was of counsel to Mayor de Blasio. Mm -hmm. and uh, work closely with him there, you know, to do the things that, that he wanted done. And then through him became the chair of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, where she says she got lots done and it is why things move forward with uh, Daniel Pantaleo, um, the officer who, who killed Eric Gardner. Uh, other people think that's not true. A few things that are clear are, one, she covered up on 50A, which is this bizarre officer privacy law. Long story short, de Blasio basically invented by reinterpreting an existing law to say all personnel records are private. And that meant the Pantaleo's record couldn't come out as he kept getting paid year after year uh, after killing Eric Gardner. Um, so, so the real questions about her credibility as a police reformer. Her argument is, I work for that mayor, I had to get his stuff done. I would be very different as, as mayor. Um, the, the other issue is that she has no real public safety platform. So amidst uh, uh, concerns about violent crime and other things, rational or not, um, she, her, her message is basically the police are the only public danger in effect. She would not put it that way. Uh, but, you know, if you read her public safety plan, the police come up in like paragraph 27 in passing. It's that sort of thing. So so she 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 that's insane. And that's like her, that's a key part of her campaign. And she, she has a gun violence plan where, where, where there's almost no role for, for policing. And to me, the guns are, are, are where some of that rubber hits that road. That said, somebody mm -hmm. willing to directly take on the police unions who've been incredibly bad actors who endorse Donald Trump and are, 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 are generally not great people uh, is, is, is to be admirable. fair, they're not from New York, so it doesn't matter. You can you can talk shit on them. They're not going to vote because uh, they live in Long Island. Long Island. Yeah, yeah. And Westchester. Um, Westchester. The, 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 but I'm not sure. I'm not sure just talking the shit is the most effective way to actually get to change is, is the last concern. That said, yeah. you know, she's the one person who I think is promising to most dramatically rethink the NYPD. And we'll see how much of an appetite there is for that right now. Like a year ago, when it seemed like there was more and these protests were happening, the city council wanted to defund the NYPD, which meant removing a couple of billion dollars. This was a big sort of explosive fight. They failed to do so. Uh, the, the city council speaker, Corey Johnson, who wanted to run for mayor, had to give up, sort of checked out of his job for a few months, said he was very depressed, and then felt better and is now running for controller. Um, but but that, that, that was an interesting moment, again, where the rubber hit the I wonder why road. he didn't get the Naomi Osaka treatment. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Sorry. 
That's that's interesting. He, his, Corey was treated very generously when he said when he said he was having a rough time. Next he got to take months off from his day job yeah. uh, as, as city as speaker. And, and, and nobody gave him two hours of time about it. People didn't write about it that much. And I was cool with that. But then when he's feeling better enough to run for an office, he has a better shot of winning. I, I think that raises some real questions. Um, also, Richie Torres, I think, had some similar issues and didn't get, uh, you know, mental health is a real, I'm not, it's not, everybody should be treated fairly when, in regards to mental health. But um, it's just interesting to see the dynamics play out that way. Uh, okay, so a couple other things I'm very curious about. So turnout's pretty low for these elections. So how much of this is, is mobilizing neighborhoods and uh, demographics and unions? And simultaneously, there are some unions taking stances and organizations of, you know, vote one and two, don't rank this person, Eric Adams or Yang. Um, so how will that play out in terms of this, this low turnout, potentially low turnout election? One cool thing with ranked choice voting is everyone is showing up in like every corner of the city or trying to, because even if somebody else is going to uh, do very well there and that's their home turf, you want to be number two or number three on as many of the ballots there as you can. A lot of the the, the institutional organized support is is stacked up behind uh, behind Adams, and it was then followed followed by by Stringer, and that that, that that's valuable because those are votes you can really count on. Uh, Yang has, has picked up a fair amount of support among uh, uh, Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish uh, uh, circuits in Brooklyn, and we're going to see what that converts into in terms of votes there. That, that often, those votes often get treated as a block vote, but there are actually a whole bunch of different blocks, and some of them are, are more solid than others. Uh, I, I'm very interested to see how much turnout we have. Yang's model for victory is really predicated on getting new voters to turn out and offering himself as a fresh and appealing face. The po limited polling we have suggests that that, that that appeal is slipping as progressives who are furious and are like, don't vote for this guy no matter what. Like him and Adams are the two people who, who you have people saying, just don't count them, just don't count them, and hoping mm -hmm. that that might tip the uh, scales. Um, yeah, you, you, you see a, a, a don't rank Adams protest outside of Eric Adams' office, and you just you don't see that with, 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 with the... Uh, <laughs> Other than Morales is on stage. Oh nice guess. What is going on? This is insane. But one more thing I, I, I'm curious about is how is it that, that Eric Adams did not get the Orthodox Jewish vote? He's the Brooklyn Borough president. I mean, that is a massive failure, no? Like what what happened behind the scenes there? He he, he uh Andrew Yang was looking very strong, had very competent people, a lot of whom had once been with Bloomberg, who did well uh, in that world, and some help from the Blasio world, which is also quietly boosting Adams and trying to keep that, you know, very quiet for, for a whole number of reasons. Interesting. Um, Little gossipy gossip. Yeah. How is that? How do they do that? Whisper campaigns? Is it... I mean, you have a you have a, a community that, that that wants to be left in peace, to self-regulate, um, and then then wants certain like services and funding streams from the city, and and wants to cut deals on those terms and otherwise be left to handle their own affairs. And so, that that's a reasonable form of self-interest, but it's one that when it intersects with our larger politics, is is pretty directly transactional. And you know, I wish I'd been in the room to know exactly what was promised and how. Clearly, some of this has to do with yeshivas and like the uh, level of quality of secular school. education they have to provide, which which uh, de Blasio has been studying for years now without coming to any conclusions, uh, uh, you know, because of his own political agreements there. 
And Yang has indicated that, that, that he's going to leave things alone as best he can. Isn't, and Yang's background's in education too. Fascinating. Um, so last question. It's a weird last question, but I'm, I'm asking for a reason. Highest turnout neighborhood is the Upper West Side, right? Does Stringer have it locked down? At least for number one. Who are the number one two you think that's going to play out on the Upper West Side? I, I would guess Scott and Maya. Interesting. Do you think that'll be like a major factor? Okay, I'm still going. It <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really depends on, on, on how many people turn out everywhere else and where. Uh, like that, that's a neighborhood where people are really in the habit of voting. They're going to show up and they've known Scott for a long time. A lot of people like him and are comfortable with him. I think there's some older women in particular who like him more uh, because, because uh, he, he was accused, they think unfairly. I know Brian Grimm has put out a bunch of reporting that, that advances that idea. Um, and uh, I, I, I think are, are that much more eager to vote for him because of this. Uh, we'll see how all this plays out. It's interesting. Teflon Scott, that's all I got to say, <laughs> if it happens. Uh, Harry Siegel, just a pleasure, always a pleasure. Say hi to your parents for me. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, wish we had more time. We'll hope maybe maybe after the next, whatever. When, when, when the voting happens, we'll have you on to talk about like what's happening, what's the state of it all, because uh, folks are are really confused. Well, but, like, like I said, it might be weeks before we, we know what the hell happened. It's This is going to be a fun summer. Can't mm -hmm. wait. <laughs> Thanks, Harry Siegel. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, guys, uh, you know I love my CBD. I love it. Sunset Lake CBD is a worker-owned company. Yes, they treat their workers well. They pay them a minimum wage of $15 an hour, but their, uh, their employees own the majority of the company. And they also support independent media like our show, the Nomi He Show, uh, David Packman Show, and the Majority Report. So they have all sorts of products. Um, as a farmer-owned company, they ship craft CBD products to your door, products that help with stress, aches and pains. Uh, they flipped that farm, the Ben and Jerry's farm, to grow premium hemp. And uh, some of these products are not just for humans, but for dogs. They have dog biscuits now that are made of peanut butter, pumpkin, and oat flour. You can also eat them too if you want, um, if you're into that. <laughs> I guess more people are in it than we thought. Uh, they have tinctures, they have salves, they have uh, hemp, of course, that you can smoke. Last time uh, Dorsey was on smoking it, it looked, it was great. Um, what else do they have? They have fudge. Uh, and of course they have gummies, which are on sale right now, I think online for 35% off. I think I got an email about that. So go check that out. But you can also, if you want to buy a bunch of products, you can go to sunsetlakecbd.com and type in Nomi, N-O-M-I, and you get 20% off of your entire order. Go to sunsetlakecbd.com, type in Nomi, you get 20% off of your entire order. I used the salve on my wrist because I have a little bit of a breakout on my wrist, um, which I thought at one point was like sea lice or something. And it turns out it's just, it's really hot out and I'm getting like sweaty underneath my, my watch. But uh, it definitely helps me sleep. I got a lot of sleeping issues, but I've had deeper sleep. And I know because I measure it with my watch that gives me little um, sea lice underneath. And that is my story. I'm sticking to it. All right, Ryan Graham, what is, wait, wait, I need to see your posters behind you because this is. I think these are Matt Boers. Oh, I'm in right, the, like bigger, like, I love I'm it. In the, okay. I'm in the Intercept uh, DC office. And I think these, Matt Boers used to be part of our uh, First Look Media family. And I think these are his drawings. That's pretty cool. 
Love it. All right. Yeah. Well, we don't have a ton of time and I want to get everything out of you. So this is our New York City mayoral show. Uh, everyone's been asking for it. I was like, we're going to do it. We're going to get some candidates on. I just needed to wait. And they were like, why do you want to wait? And I was like, oh, because um, number one, I'm not endorsing anybody. Well, at least that point I wasn't. I will be. I guess it doesn't fucking matter. Who cares? Nobody fucking cares. <laughs> Like all these people are like, you know, uh, who's your, who cares? We're all waiting for the, the, the it's, it's, listen, the there's going to be bomb. one left at the end. So it doesn't even matter. I'm like, and then there was one candidate <laughs> and it was Andrew Yang. Um, all right. So I want to discuss this progressive, this progressive stuff that's happening. Uh, Harry Siegel and I just ran through all of it, you know, the system and the history and, you know, some of the dynamics that are playing out and, uh, now we, one of the reasons why I held off in talking about this is because having run for office myself in the city and knowing that there's multiple candidates in the race, I was very aware that there was some behind the scenes dynamics in terms of, you know, this candidate supporting this one and this institution's backing that one and then that one. Um, so let's just start off with ranked choice voting as, as, as good as it is for democracy in some ways, it's definitely encouraging some horse trading, is it not? I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, people are, um, it certainly changes behavior, you know, in, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and there's more to trade, you know, like working families party, for instance, you know, could offer three endorsements. Like, I guess they could have offered five if they felt like it. And so, you know, each time they offer an endorsement, then they can get something, you know, they, then they're in talks with people about something in, in the future. I don't know. What have you been seeing um, horse trading wise? Yeah, I think it's interesting to see. I mean, there's been some, the progressive lane implosion um, is, is, a, is, is interesting. Um, but of the two that have had major scandals, they co-endorsed each other. Uh, Scott Stringer and and Morales, um, or they appeared on stage. Do they? I, I don't know if they actually officially endorsed each other, but they appeared on stage together at a bunch of things, um, and others co-endorsed them. And so that was like, you know, I found that fascinating to see, um, you know, Scott Stringer this the story, the allegations against him. And I'm actually surprised more didn't come out. I'm not saying that he had it, but I'm just surprised that it like. I know you just reported on this. I'm surprised that it just like ended there. Um, and that people started to line up. People that were institutional political players were willing to redact their endorsement of Scott Stringer, including the organizations that backed him, um, creating a lane for other candidates. And so, yeah, I just, I, I find the dynamics, and I know everybody's learning as they go, I just find the dynamics between all, you know, the candidates really interesting and the consultants that they share sometimes and the, um, the organizations that are, are, are backing them really fascinating. But can we talk a little bit about, let's talk about the Scott Stringer story because you just reported on this. What Remind us what mm -hmm. happened and what you've learned. And so you saw the one today. Did you see the one that I did today? Yes, sorry, I was taking oh, some okay. water. Yeah. Right, and so if people have been hasn't. paying yeah. attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so in, in late April, uh, a woman came forward and said that she had been in, assaulted as an intern on the Scott Stringer campaign in 2001 by Scott Stringer. That has been revised to, oh, sorry, <laughs> I saw my screen moving around. That's been revised to, she was a volunteer on the campaign. She had actually met Stringer socially several years earlier. Uh, 
Stringer says they were dating. She says they're absolutely, that's absolutely not true. They were not dating. The, the charge of assault has kind of been taken off uh, the table. So now it's more um, that she was a friend of his and either he, he came on to her in, in, in an aggressive and uh, unwelcome way or they had some type of uh, relationship going on. So that's the, that's the he said, she said. In that situation, there were no uh, corroborating witnesses at the time. Her attorney said that there would be some coming forward. Eventually, after a few weeks, her fiancé came forward and said, yes, she told me uh, about this in 2014. Um, but no other corroborators have come forward. Her sister, who she lived with at the time, would, did not um, corroborate it. Um, didn't say it was not true, but said she had, you know, did, did, also did not say that it was true. Uh, so today, and, and like you said, there haven't been any others. And so to me, that's often a, a very strong indication of, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it is evidence. Like it is, it is something, you know, there is often a pattern with these guys that, once once a, an allegation comes out, uh, you often see other shoes dropping um, because you know guys who do this don't generally just do it once in their entire lives. And then once um, they get outed, having done it once, they're in the news. Women who have been victims of them in the past see that in the news. They come forward. They have you know very parallel stories. Uh, that didn't happen in this case. Doesn't mean it's not true doesn't mean there won't be in the next couple of days or weeks more allegations that, that come forward we don't know but it's been a month or so and so uh today at the intercept uh john bulger and i uh published a story where we looked at the attorney uh who had brought the allegation forward who kind of ran the press conference and said don't talk to gene kim talk to me um turned out it turns out that she has spent the better part of the last uh decade working for a network of construction companies that represents uh, non-union workers, that, that basically that sells non-union labor uh, to construction sites, to, to developers, uh, and in particular does much of, much of its business at Hudson Yards. There was a big fight over union labor, whether, you know, how much union labor, whether union labor would be used at Hudson Yards. Scott Stringer, as city comptroller, was, was deeply involved in that because there's city money involved. Uh, Stringer helped, I guess, as comptroller, he sets kind of what the prevailing wage rates are. And there were some fights over what the prevailing wages were. Um, he sided very squarely with the unions. It got, it got very ugly. Uh, there, uh, the, this, this attorney filed uh, two lawsuits against uh, the, a, the local union that was battling with them and, and, and Stringer. Didn't file against Stringer, but Stringer was allied with this union. The uh, the, the unions um, fired back by going to the attorney general and saying that there's rampant uh, sexual harassment uh, going on, on at these uh, job sites. It's been going on for years and nobody has done anything to check it. The New York attorney general, who was actually Schneiderman at the time, opened an investigation. He was out within a couple of weeks. Tish James finished the investigation in 2020, released her findings. Uh, there was a one, one and a half million dollar settlement. The company denied all the allegations, uh, but publicly, but said it would, you know, remedy its uh, sexual harassment situation. But the 
they did the attorney general did publish with the settlement a million and a half dollar settlement that their their findings and they they list them as conclusions you know we conclude and some of the conclusions um were that uh supervisors uh you know had sent uh, nude photos of, of themselves um and the, the kinds of things where if an attorney general is saying that they're concluding this that they have probably seen evidence of this so we're like so far beyond like a he said she said at that point and, and some of the other allegations were, were were the kind that if they were happening at a white collar firm would be just a global scandal but it happened on a uh, you know construction sites in new york city uh so people didn't pay a lot of attention to it but the the, the most uh flagrant uh, i don't want to really actually qualify any of them but one of the most flagrant um was they were uh pressuring women to put in to basically fake extra time on their on their time sheets in exchange for sex and so and this was a pattern this was not like one or two According to the attorney general, this was not one or two instance, instances. This was going on kind of uh, regularly. And so, uh, the, so the attorney, she, she left before the investigation came out, but she was there through um, while a lot of this uh, was, was going on. You know, within a year of the uh, uh, investigation coming out, now she was in front of the, uh, the New York City media introducing the city to, to Gene Kim. That is just because this attorney deals with sexual harassment lawsuits. I mean, this could be, you know, there are plenty of, of attorneys. No, she, she was general counsel and vice president. So got it. Got it. Got it. She okay. was she was an employee of the interesting of Ron, you know, Ron Latanzio. Like that was the yeah. The, the he he was um he was famous in the 90s for this weird kind of coke-fueled bribery scandal. Uh and he uh got charged with bribery convicted, but then didn't do any prison time by turning informant on other uh, building department officials. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he he was her boss in this uh, in this project. It's a great um, example, illustration of New York City politics. Another great example, and I'm really glad that you're starting to kind of rev the engines on this one, um, is is the Diane Morales campaign. Uh, just as a reminder to folks, we we have kind of been brushing over her for most of the show, but she uh, was occupying this progressive lane in in that a lot of young progressives, I think, um, were in, involved in her campaign. A lot of like former AOC people, some of our campaign people were over there. Um, and she had definitely the most progressive agenda. She's a woman of color, of course. Um, so there was a story, there were a, a, a series of stories that broke just questioning sort of her background, which, you know, <laughs> I, I, there's there's a lot of uh, patterns of that with women, female candidates, I'll just say. Um, but she did not vote for Cynthia Nixon, for instance. She did not, in terms of her progressive, like she was a supporter of charter schools, et cetera, et cetera. But then her staff- Not just started, supporter, right? Didn't she run one? She worked, yeah, she, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, 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 a, it's a strange, you know, there's a lot of questions about like how she was vetted even to get some of the endorsements from Working Families Party, for instance, or other organizations. Like those are questions and things you should look into, right? Um, simultaneously, her like, staff who did you vote? Who did you, like, did, who did you vote for in 2018? Like, did you vote for the candidate we endorsed? It was pretty. Or just like you worked at a charter pretty, school. Pretty and standard we were, question, you would think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
But right. aside from that, <laughs> um, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't, Harry said right. fraud. I would never use the word fraud. Uh, but I would say maybe not a progressive. Just that's, I think there's no record of progressivism or, or the level of progressivism that she was running in the link. Yeah. She said, she said in an inter she said in a radio interview last February uh, that she was not a progressive. Like she was asked, are you a progressive? Oh, right. This is the one with, uh, she said, I don't Max really like to call myself Murphy. a progressive yeah. because. Well, that was yeah, before like, the lane needed to be taken. A lot of things like charter schools and. Yeah. I had a. Um, it was only last year though, but yeah. No, no, no. In our race, which was only four months, um, there was a woman in the race that, uh, who ended up to go, went and worked for Di Morales, uh, if yike, who, um, uh, received the DSA vote was blocked and, uh, she was represented by the person moderating the DSA panel legally. Um, and in many forums, I say this for a reason, because there's a pattern here in many forums, she was saying, I don't understand why Nomi's railing against real estate. Real estate's a fine part of the city. She supported Hillary Clinton. Don't forget this is only a year after the primary or two years after the primary, excuse me. Um, and then after December, she comes out and she's anti-real estate. And I was like, oh, interesting. Someone's trying to, but then she didn't get on the ballot, so it didn't matter. Um, but it, it just, I, you know, but she went to go work for Diane Morales. So, you know, there's some patterns here. And I noticed that you um, discussed the unionizing. And one thing that I was really surprised about with the unionizing um, happening internally, and, and I'm for, all for unions, I'm, you know, it's a big part of our show, is that this is a matching fund system. And if you have matching funds in the city, you the type of compliance and the type of contracts that you negotiate are set when you hire them. And it's very specific based on hours. And you actually have to, you, you actually have to complete the labor Mm -hmm. to do it, to get paid. It's so you can't really have technically a strike, for instance, it's if you're getting matching funds that could open the campaign up for a big problem. It's not a Diane Morales problem. It is a, maybe the city should take this into consideration if people are going to be unionizing in the future problem. So in your recent reporting- And is there a limit? I'm, cur I'm curious, is like, it, in order to prevent kind of like grift candidates from, you know, getting matching funds yeah. and then turning around and giving, you know, their friend, uh, you know, $200 an hour to go canvas, yeah. right. is there, is there a cap? Like in other words, if, if a camp, if a, if a campaign does uh, unionize and yeah. while they're negotiating for wages, is there some type of, are there, are there legal limits that they're constrained by because of the matching funds? Um. So there's two types of situations that I've seen happen um, with campaigns. Uh, and a lot of the older, more established candidates do it this way rather than the other way. You can hire just individual field people and pay them $15, $30 an hour, whatever you want to pay them an hour. You're not going to pay them $400 an hour, but you have it's by the hour, right? Um, and you have to say how many hours and you actually have to itemize how what they did. And you have these like sheets, timesheets that you share with the, the campaign finance board. There's probably some within fair market rule. I think it is. I can't remember. I haven't been to the training in a while. So, because right. uh, you're forced to go through the training, by the way, your mm -hmm. campaign manager is. Um, I don't think the, the candidate is not. So, mm -hmm. protesting her versus the campaign manager is also a very strange situation because the campaign manager and the treasurer had to go through the, the training. Mm -hmm. um, but aside from that, uh, a lot of campaigns will hire a consulting firm, and the consulting firm gets paid a lump sum. And then they have their own internal like walk sheet system um, that they have to provide, but it's right. not based on an hourly rate. It's like, we're paying this firm $100,000 to do our field. 
our paid field, and then we also have volunteers. So, I mean, it's, it's, but, but this is important because this is essential piece of this scandal and knowing firsthand how little even New York City reporters understand the campaign finance system. And they, I urge them to go to the training because it's free mm -hmm. and it's really informative and go do it because it's not hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I asked like, you're seeing this as a trend. I've noticed you mentioned Isan Lakey and uh, who else was it that you mentioned? Uh, well, let's see. Well, Cynthia Nixon's campaign had union troubles. Um, the, the, the union cut both ways there. I think it, it actually helped in some significant ways to straighten the campaign out, but it also uh, really slowed the campaign down badly at, at the very end. Like it, they were doing contract negotiations like a week or two before the election. Um, they were negotiating. One of the sticking points was maternity leave, but nobody was pregnant and the election was two weeks away. So it's like pretty sure nobody's going to need I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but I don't think anybody's going to need maternity leave <laughs> between sorry. now and between now and election day. Um, so then there was Shahid Buttar, whose right, right. uh, campaign you know kind of walked out on him and went went public with a bunch of uh, um, yeah uh, allegations of him being a jerk, basically. Um, it's a you know it's a really tough so, work yeah, environment. So it's, and, Go ahead, go ahead. And then Bernie Sanders, um, you know, faced it in what is it, April or so of 2019. A bunch of uh, field organizers went to the Washington Post and complained. And then, as I reported this week, they they very they very nearly came out like the week before Iowa, saying that Bernie Sanders was a terrible boss and like exploiting them in Iowa. Um, they were talked out of that, um, but you know, it's a thing. Wow! Wow! So this is happening. It's um, and it's happening at key moments, not early on. Um, and maybe there's maybe that's something that union campaign unions can take into consideration. Is you know when you decide to unionize, like I don't I don't know. It's it's, it's it might be too early in the beginning because you don't have enough staff. But like a month before a campaign, not ideal either. Um, it's right. It's tough to find the right time because Bernie did it very early. And mm -hmm. by the time Iowa came around, they were very glad that they had done it early. Mm -hmm. But if you talk to his senior staff there, you know, they'll say that, that it was months of nego union negotiations that kind of that, uh, that, that took a lot of time at, a, at an important early phase. You know, so if you don't get your campaign off the ground, there's less than to negotiate around. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's none of it, none of it's easy. It's none of this is easy to figure out. Um, and have you heard anything about Diane Morales's staff? Like, were they all kind of on the same page? Um, no, my, I, this is, as, as I understand it, there were different factions, um, uh, who, you know, some, some militants, some, some not, uh, there were, there's some bad actors There's some. There's some senior staff who uh, were genuinely bad. Um, uh, Morales herself obviously did not. Better, like bad like, acting. So, like so, there were there was some there was some senior staff who were very appropriately condemned by junior staff. Like so, this is it's it's not a case where, um, you know, the, the kids are all wrong and the adults in the room were all correct. Like that's, that's not at all the case. And Morales handled it obviously quite terribly, just as you can see from how it, 
um, how it unfolded. Um, you know, part of it, you know, the, and, and there, there's a lot more reporting to do and, and, and maybe, um, maybe eventually I'll write a full piece on, you know, everything that happened, but, um, as kind of a window into how these, these situations unfold, but, you know, there, there were some, you know, some, you know, a lot, and you've seen publicly a lot of allegations of, of racism made. Um, and so what, it, it wasn't just about working conditions and pay. Although racism in the workplace is also about working conditions. Well, there's a debate tonight, so stay tuned. Let's see how this plays out. Um, my last note on this is she was doing very well in a poll for second choice uh, right before this all broke. Have Do you think that's been like, that played a factor? I mean, meaning like these attacks happen. In what sense? Um, she's, you know, they started to kind of question her, her background, uh, as we, I mean, a, a, all this stuff comes out and it, like, as the campaigns heat up and we go into the final weeks, people start to, you know, the oppo files start to be used and the allegations start to be made separate from the unionizing situation. Um, just, she was, she was second choice in, she was second place in second choice, um, which is fascinating to me when you're looking at the, because it's ranked choice system. So um, I should probably not anymore. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, and maybe she could have a breakout debate, but uh, I can't imagine how uh, any candidate could overcome this utter debacle of a, of a week. Well, Eric Adams has a strike outside of his office right now, so <laughs> we'll see who's next. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Well, Ryan Grimm, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us to, to break down the progressive lane of, of the mayoral primary. We didn't get Thanks to Maya Wiley, for... but, you know, next time. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Next time. Next time. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Take it easy. All right, guys, I got to run early today, so I'm going to do the Super Chats tomorrow. But just a special shout out to all of our moderators in the live chat. And of course, Harvey K, who's mixing it up, uh, as always. And go check out Jamie Peck uh, at the Antifada. If you're on Twitch, you can go raid right now. Um, and anybody who wants to go over and check, check out their show, uh, they're going live right now. But I got a jet. I got a meeting because I got six jobs. I've got four, three jobs, three jobs. So got to go do another one right now. But we will see you tomorrow, same time, same place, Thursday, and we'll talk about the debate. Take care.